0: there are so many reasons to not do entrepreneurship. (laughs) So many, so many, I mean, there's lots of reasons to do it, but there's, there's lots and lots of very, very good reasons. Most of which are oriented towards having a reasonably stable, balanced life, right? Where you have time all the time you want to do all the things that let's call it normal people do. As you move away from, let's call it a corporate job, you know, to an entrepreneurial passion, it is going to take a much larger percent of your time and the sacrifice is likely to be much higher. And therefore, if all of the answers are, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, then that's fine, just don't, <laughs> right? Just don't, Yeah. <laughs> and just keep doing your thing. But don't, don't put all the can'ts up there and whine about it.
1: Hello there, friends. Welcome to an episode of the show. It's your buddy Chase here very excited about today's guest he's been on the show before he's my good friend almost like a co-hosted episode i would call this my good friend ta mccann now you may remember listen to the show before that. ta is a serial entrepreneur he sold companies to google and blackberry among others um used to work for paul allen managing vulcan capital the uh he's, he's held senior roles at microsoft and today he's a managing director at pioneer square labs which is a startup studio Venture capital fund, and it's focused on building amazing companies. Now, he is very well acquainted with the creator space. He's mentored and, and helped me through things like starting my, my app of the year back in whatever 2010 in the Apple iPhone store, the best camera app. He helped me whiteboard launch and was an advisor to Creative Live. He has been around the block, absolute wizard when it comes to creators and entrepreneurs building a life of their dreams. So, that's a little bit about TA. Our show today is around, I've taken some questions from my text community about things that are problems that you wanted to solve. Where should you as a creator or an entrepreneur focus? How to choose your passion, your mission when so many things interest you? That is a key topic that we cover in today's show. Also how to maintain energy and passion when things get hard. And lastly, when they know how to quit when they know how to shift gears or downshift or go on to something else a few other really interesting tidbits in there i'm gonna let the show speak for itself though yours truly and my dear friend entrepreneur and just overall great business and creative mentor t.a mccann all right my dear friend t.a mccann welcome back to the show for our series i think this is number three in the series welcome back bud Uh, So fun to be with you in this universe of starting your own business as a creator entrepreneur, um, spanning solopreneurship all the way to, as we know from your bio and your third time here on the show, uh, that you run a venture studio. You are you've exited multiple times uh, in venture scale businesses, but that you've also spent a lot of time around creators like me who've done a little bit of both. Right, we've dabbled in the the, uh, venture scale business, but also have small individual independent brands, or I would just call small businesses that don't seek to hit, you know, hundred million in revenue, like venture scale, where to start, what do you see on the landscape of running a venture studio? Uh, how do you, how do you coach people on what problems to work on?
0: Yeah, great. Well, it's always, it's always fun to be back on the show and, um, and have these kind of discussions. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this from a couple of different axes. So the first axis is what are you good at, right? So you should obviously pick something that you're marginally good at and you want to get a lot better at. And especially if you're in a creative sort of sense, you may as well pick that uh, type of area. But, you know, certain type of, co- to compare and contrast the two ideas you had, like if you're not interested or not good at AI technology, and don't want to spend a lot of time on it, then that's, regardless of how big an idea that is, probably not the best place for you to start. Yep. So what are you good at is one, and I'll probably do these as like, a, if I had a whiteboard, which you know me, and I have a whiteboard, <laughs> I'm, a lot, I'm a lot more powerful with a whiteboard. Uh, so uh, we'll, have to do, we'll have to do a session with like the professor whiteboard time. Yeah, that'd be, Dude, that'd be that fun. Would,
1: that would be great, actually. Legitimately great.
0: Do that one next time. Uh, anyway, Venn diagram. So one is like, what are you good at? The second is, what are you interested in? And I try to do this. Sometimes I use the metaphor of imagine you walk into a, a, a magazine store, right? We've all been to those. And you, you look at the, all these different titles, right? And, and like, which ones do you go read? Which ones are you just naturally interested in? Are you interested in the environment one or the design one or the technology one or the cars one or the... It doesn't matter. Because you're going to spend the next five or 10 years of your life or longer you know, focused on that topic area or those kinds of customers. Uh, and then that overlaps into the, what kind of customers do you want to sell to? And you're going to spend a lot of time as an entrepreneur, as a founder selling to those customers. And if you don't like those kinds of customers or going to those kinds of conferences uh, or spending time with those kind of people, like, it's going to be a slog. No matter how good you are, at it, no matter how how much people will pay for you. So which customers do you want to spend time with, which is sort of an extension of that. Magazine rack type of uh, metaphor, which is what am I interested in? And then, to the extent you now have thought about how big of a business you want to build, then then there's some other criteria, right? If you're thinking about I'm trying to build a very large business, I'm trying to build the biggest of whatever thing I'm trying to build uh, in the world, then you may have some other criteria which are around the market and the size and the competitors and things like that. But in terms of the the founder mentality. Is really that what am i good at what am i interested in and what kind of customers do i want to serve is a pretty good start and then i'll extend it one level further is if you think that you'll ever raise money for your business and i think most businesses regardless even if they're solopreneurs even if you can make it profitable very early on if you want it to be large you will almost always raise some form of outside capital it could be debt from a bank or it could be from an investor Um, or it could be from a strategic investor that wants to accelerate your idea to be much larger than you started off with, Mm -hmm. then you're going to ultimately write write this sort of founder idea fit narrative. Like, why am I the best person on the planet, or certainly one of the better ones on the planet to go start this business? And that's a very good activity is once you've done through the first three things I talked about, is just go write down like five to 10 bullet points of like, why am I one of the better people you know, on the planet to do this kind of business. That's the founder idea fit kind of activity.
1: And we did, we covered a lot of that in a previous episode, the founder idea fit. uh, And that was around getting funding specifically how to do it, how it works, what are the instruments. So if you missed that earlier podcast, and that is of interest to you, highly recommend checking that out. It's been a very popular show. Um, Okay. So as I zoom out and I heard those different, the different lenses that we can wear as we try and look at what to spend our time on. Is it fair to say that this is a little bit of a funnel because presumably people, there's a a number of things that they like. Oh, I, I like photography. I also like design though. I, you know, I was a graphic designer in my first career. Um, and you know, I'm using these collaboration tools like frame IO for video editing and it's garbage. I could use, you know, I could make something so much better. I've got 52 ideas to you know, and I know a little bit about code and I'm, one of my best friends is just so happens to be he's a code wizard and is also came from the video editing world. Obviously I'm making this narrative up on the fly here. Mm-hmm. Um but there's like, you know, four or five ideas and I feel like people get seduced by the wrong thing. So it seems very natural to like, cool, well, I have a friend He's good at code. I was a video editor. I know how to, you know, maybe I can make something bigger and better than frame. And yet, they don't actually, if you excavate further, if you stopped right there, rather, you'd like, okay, cool. That's obvious. We're going to go try and build a frame IO, you know, collaborative video editing tool that's going to displace, you know, Adobe and frame IO. And yet, most people have not asked themselves the questions. Around how big do I want do I want to manage? do I want to stay close to the creative process? I really like video editing. yeah, I want to solve problems for millions of video editors, but at the end of the day, I love being in my you know my my video editing studio, just you know focused on making a great edit for my client, and there's this seductive like i see you know, entrepreneurs, my friends who are raising millions of dollars and who are in the magazines and featured in TechCrunch, And there's this seduction that pulls us towards these other careers that are, you know, frankly speaking between you and I here, it's like, you're not going to be successful if you don't have an interest in building a big business. And it's a true interest, not a superficial interest. So how, how would you, how do you encourage founders that might be on the fence or you can tell that? First of all, what are some of the signs that they're not actually committed? And then, you know, how would you instruct them or mentor them if they were here in the room with us?
0: Yeah, let's, let's dissect a couple of points you made. One is on the co-founder side, right? So you made the case of the video editor with a technical person. And that's a totally valuable way to start a company, which is Chase and I want to hang out together. Chase has certain skills that I don't. We have complementary skills. And boy, it would be fun to work together for the next five or 10 years of our lives. And so what idea do we want to do? Now, you may do that same thing I talked about previously, which is what magazines are you excited about and what skills do you have? But there's a very viable orientation toward, I just want to work with you and let's go find a thing that we both are reasonably excited about where we have a decent chance of being successful based on our skills. But there's an orientation toward the partner, right? the the co-founder or co-founders. When I started Rival IQ, this was very much the case where we had four of us who were really enjoying brainstorming on a number of different ideas. And the orientation was primarily around each other. And so we were looking for a thing that all of us you know, had complementary skills to go do. And we worked for two or three different ideas until ultimately we stumbled upon Rival IQ, which did in fact have that sort of overlap of what do we eat individually good at? What are we collectively good at? What are we collectively interested in? And in this particular case, what do we think could be a venture scale business? So point one would be the if you have a co-founder involved or a person that you really want to work with at that co-founder level, that may change or iterate a little bit on your on your orientation of what to work on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know the second point you made is around size and scale, and then what, what do you want to do in said size and scale, right? Yeah. So if you're saying, I want to be like the, we're going to be the best ever on the planet video editing company. And I want to stay close to it. And I want to be one of the best, you know, I'm going to get my Oscar in, in video editing. And that's a totally viable thing to do. It may not be a very large business because you want to stay closer to the creative function as opposed to the management function and spending time raising money or managing a large company. And that's a totally fine answer, right? Which gets back to the, what do I want to do, which is less about the category and more about the you, Mm -hmm. I I want to spend my time. If I can spend 50% of my time in video editing, great. A structural way, though I wouldn't spend too much time on this at the founding of a company, when you're still looking for the idea, I would spend time on this as you start to structure it is lay out month over month, quarter over quarter, go to a Google Sheet, put the amount of time you're going to spend doing X amount of things in the the rows are the things and the columns are the percent of time. <laughs> And if you say like, we've both been through being founders of venture scale businesses, at some point in time, you're spending 75% of your time raising money. Okay. And 50% of your time, you know, managing people or 20% of your time selling or 30% of your time on the product, it doesn't matter. But if you lay that out a little bit as a founder and you say like, wow, I'd be really excited. Raising money is fun. Selling is fun. I'd get 20% of my time with product, 30% of my time recruiting and managing people. Wow. That sounds great. But that's obviously not spending seventy five percent of your time doing video editing, yeah, so the percent of time, which is a, just an extension, a structural extension of the what do I like to do and what am I theoretically good at uh is is a way to get around that part of it, which is the you know what size and scale of business do I want, and then it doesn't matter it doesn't mean that forever. So you could easily start off as, hey, I'm the person, I'm building a video editing piece of software because I'm an amazing video editor. I will know what's required. I know lots of other video editors. I know what what I believe best in the world is. I know the gaps between this product and all the other products that are out there. And therefore I can communicate those very well to the developer co-founder I have. I'm likely to be able to communicate those very well to an audience of customers that I know. I'm likely to be able to be excited about that thing for a long time. And at some point in time, you may not be the CEO of the company because you don't want to be. You're like, you know what? I started as a CEO. I got it going. And then I led sales for a while. And then I kept going. And then I moved over to run product because I just wanted to stay closer to the product. Or I started running the education part of our business because that kept me closer to using the product and educating others and being the best video editor I can. And that's totally fine, too, if you were to lay out those sort of percents of time over a longer period of time and moving around the table in a game of musical chairs.
1: What about the folks that would be. I I feel like I see and hear. People getting into businesses for the wrong reasons. Like, I want to be rich. I want to. Uh, you know, move to Silicon Valley. I want to, uh, my best friend is an engineer and I'm not sure what I'm passionate about, but he's pushing me or she's pushing me to get, you know, involved in, in the company. Um, I, I just feel like there are a hundred reasons that, and, and the people who are on our, in our, in our community are listening and watching right now. It feels like, especially in this sort of Instagram 1st social media world, we get sucked into these ideas. They are seductive, but for the wrong reasons. Do you see in the venture scale businesses you mentor and I've been, you know, building through PSL dozens, if not hundreds of companies, you get pitched thousands of times a year. Do you have a sniffer for when people are full of shit and they're just chasing something that they think is cool and they don't really have the guts, the stamina, the belief in themselves, the skill set. the, like they're chasing it for the wrong reasons. Do you have a radar for that? And if so, what are some of the, the attributes that you see that people who are listening or watching right now might be able to clue in and ask themselves if they have those attributes as well?
0: Well, if you're looking to get rich, then you shouldn't do startups. Like your likelihood of that happening is very low. Right, So, and you can't really control that outcome now, obviously, there's plenty of cases where that has happened, but there are plenty of wealthy photographers and art dealers and architects and real estate developers and stock traders, and you can find if you're good at something, and I would say that like the list of if you're really good at something, if you're world class at something, your opportunity to make a very good living, and we can define rich in many different ways, but is quite high, right? If you're therefore, Focus on the, where can I be best in the world? Where can I be world-class? Where can I be differentiated? Which gets back to the previous points that we made. Mm -hmm. So now to your question about sniffing it out, the best entrepreneurs that, that we work with or that I see are the people who just can't stop talking about the customers and their problems. Let me tell you about this customer, then this next customer, then this next customer, then this next customer, and how they have a large problem that I'm going to solve for them. And how much I want to solve that problem, and how long I've thought about solving that problem, and how excited I get when I find the customer who has the problem that I can solve for them. So that mm. problem solution customer orientation are usually the ones that are the are the best, or the most excited because for whatever combination of reasons, what are they good at? What do they like? Um, and do they see a big opportunity in front of them? Are mostly around. Man, there's thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people in the on the planet that have this problem and oh by the way there are likely to be more those are the that's when you start to get into venture scale kind of things is it's already a large market and it's much much more likely to be larger in the future by some set of trends uh, that are happening so the the entrepreneur that comes in is almost always oriented and their narrative is through customer
1: customer 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 customer
0: Hmm.
1: what about for and that's i think well-oriented around the space where you spend most of your time. But to be fair, you spend a lot of time in my universe with the folks who are really good at one particular thing. And you said they can make a really nice living as a photographer. People don't, you know uh, you can make tens of millions of dollars as a photographer. And most people either don't know that or when they say, and, or think of that, it's, it sounds you know, basically fictional, but as you've already articulated, if you are, you know, of the best in the world, or you've got your sort of value proposition, you're, you're, you're able to be reasonably honest with yourself. That is a path. So despite spending most of your time in the entrepreneur circle, where there is a customer focus, I'm seeing a what do I, it's almost like a very selfish, most of the photographers that I know are like, I like doing this. I don't like, you know, trading bonds at a trading desk. I like walking in the woods, making amazing landscapes. And I've already sold like 20 of these things to my family and friends who, when they see this stuff, they go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So are they fundamentally different? And is this a way to sort of orient around, you know, founder idea fit because I'm like the, the words and the, and the phrases that come out of people's mouths, like, I just don't like doing this anymore. And I really want to go fill in the blank. That's very not customer oriented. It's all, it's very self. So do you see that in your world? And can you make any extensions based on your experience to this world instead of just the, I want to go build a massive company?
0: Yeah. If if you um, extend further the what am I good at? What do I like? What customers? You probably could draw a fourth circle, which is, and what can I get paid for? Right. And how much can I get paid? And if you said, listen, I'm, ha- I'm happy working at $50,000 a year and that's great. And I sell 10 landscape photos and that's awesome. Amazing for you. Right. That's a certain size and scale of business, which also implies a certain size and scale of your own personal income. Mm-hmm. And so that That's an important component. Like first, what can I get paid for, and then how much can I get paid times how many people, and that will indicate sort of the both the size of the potential business and the 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 portion of which you will be able to take home as the creator or as the owner of that particular business. So I think it's an important important component. You have to be realistic about that too. Yeah, and I think that in most cases you can start to figure out. To use the magazine metaphor is go pick up that magazine, landscape architecture. There are people who are in the pages of that thing who are getting paid very well to be great landscape architects. And what are the projects they are doing? And how did they get there? And can you see yourself in those people? And can you see the skills that they have and compare them to the skills that you have and start to say, like, wow, that landscape architect is incredible in this way and this, this, this way and this way and this way. And I think they're actually quite good at that thing too. And I'm more like this architect than that other architect, and in many ways, the right next step is if you're unsure is go work for the best, right if you're not ready yet, if you haven't figured that out yet, then just take a step to go work for the
1: best yeah, and I then like you to may find it. Get, get, get close however you can get yeah. close to it yeah.
0: I mean I call, I call it get on the team and raise your hand, so get on the team, do whatever, right Hey, Miss Landscape architect, like I have these skills. And maybe I can make coffee and maybe I can take out the trash and maybe I can carry heavy rocks. Like I'll do those things to get on the team. And then when there are things that are necessary to be done, raise your hand, right? They look around and go like, oh, we need someone to go to this conference next week. And you're like, uh, okay, um, I'll do it. So but in that case, you may still not get to the place where you've now assessed that you could be a landscape architect. You could run your own business that way, photographer, landscape photographer, et cetera. But this opportunity of taking action by getting on the team, getting on someone else's team, because then you will also be able to assess, like, how far am I away from best in the world? How far am I away from the person that's already in the magazine? That's if they're in theoret- theoretically being acknowledged as one of the best in the world. Yeah. So that's, a, that's another path, which is sort of a more discreet and significant next step. But if you want to make it a little bit simpler, then you could start to say, okay, well, I want to be that kind of thing. Who would be my first 10 customers? Let me go talk to them and see how much they would want to pay me for my you know, landscape photography or landscape architecture or whatever thing we want to pick out.
1: To me, that is a very, very important way of thinking about it. Because to me, when I hear people talk about this stuff, there's this massive gap between, well, I think I might be interested in this. I'm curious about it. My intuition tells me and they don't know how to get started and the the thought of becoming to you to extend your your landscape architect metaphor is they don't know what like oh do i go back to school do i uh you know do i i know I, i i subscribe to all the magazines i read all the blogs i follow all the ig accounts like what's the next step and so this idea of getting on the team or in my world get close to it how can you get close to it in lots of areas of your life where it doesn't require that you quit your job for example if you have a job right now it doesn't require that you move 10,000 miles although those are both you know if if be if you get an opportunity to be close to the best in the world and move across the country and you have that freedom like that is a little bit of jumping in the deep end but the point that i'm extracting from what you said is is how do you that that is the step right it's really there is a step that is a lightweight step that doesn't involve you you know, shit canning everything and throwing your hands in the air and running towards that job. That is a way to understand, to get closer. Yep. So like, what about people's intuition? What about people's fear? There's intuition that I would be good at this. Ooh. And there's also fear. Like, I don't know, man, I can't move. I can't, you know, they, they, they're, they're they construct a lot of barriers. Well, you know, if I'm going to be dedicating, you know, 10% of my time to, as an intern to Miss Landscape Architect, well then, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to put enough money in the kids college fund or, they they create a lot of, of barriers for themselves that are real and or perceived. So, you know, you've mentored a lot of people in this world, myself being one of them. What are, what are words of advice that you give for people who Throw up barriers, some real, some perceived. How do you talk them through, over, around these these problems?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there there are so many reasons to not do entrepreneurship. <laughs> so many, so many. I mean, there's lots of reasons to do it, but there's there's yeah. lots and lots of very very good reasons. Most of which are oriented towards having a reasonably stable, balanced life. Right. Where you have time, all the time you want to do all the things that let's call it normal people do. Right. Entrepreneurship takes and, and should, you should want to disproportionately spend your time and make a disproportionate amount of sacrifices to achieve whatever that goal is. Right. And that goal could be a great, you know, best in the world landscape photographer, or it could be trying to build a software startup, or it could be other things. But you are, as you move away from, let's call it a corporate job, you know, to an entrepreneurial passion, it is going to take a much larger percent of your time and the sacrifice is likely to be much higher. Okay. Therefore you have to first get over that. And therefore, if all of the answers are, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, then that's fine. Just don't, (laughs) right? Just don't. Yeah. And just keep doing your thing, but don't, don't put all the can'ts up there and whine about it. And when the can'ts come up, then now let's start to put some structure around that. So structure could be time. So time is for the next year, I'm going to take this class. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to show up at this farmer's market and try and sell my thing. Great. And if at the end of a year, I don't love it, or at the end of the year, I'm unsuccessful, or at the end of the year, I haven't made $10,000 or whatever, you know, whatever criteria you can put on it, then I'm going to go back to the drawing board. And you could do that in a month. You could do that in a quarter. You could do that in six months or a year. You probably don't have to do much longer than that. You could even go smaller if you said, let's get back to this kind of like internship type of thing is you could say, listen, I only have two weeks of vacation a year in my current job and I'm gonna take all two weeks of my vacation and I'm gonna go do two weeks vacation for free, going to work and getting close to it, right? And whatever getting close to it means. It's like, hey, Miss Landscape Architect, do you have a project? Where you could use an extra pair of hands for free, and I would like to come do that. And if at the end of that you think there might be a place for me to come work for you, that'd be awesome. But there's no obligation at all. And yep, I'm paying my own plane ticket. And yes, I'm getting there myself. And yes, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to learn a ton into in two weeks. And almost nobody says no to that. And if they say no to it, then they say, "I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this." And if any of those things are useful in the future. I'd love to use two weeks of my vacation to come do it. Now you could do that's the vacation use case. You could also do it as the side project use case, which is if you are lucky to have proximity and many of the things that people are working on don't require physical proximity. You're like, hey, Chase, I will work from five o'clock until 10 o'clock every Tuesday for free for the next month, doing whatever you want me to do, video editing, organizing your, you know, your closet, whatever, it doesn't matter. I will do that for one month. And if it's five hours or five to 10 hours times four weeks, if at the end of that, I know I will learn a lot, you might learn a lot. And there may be an opportunity for us to work together in the future. Again, if you're well-structured in that, it's unlikely that someone would say no. Now, I mean, the structure is both useful for the landscape architect and for you, right? The Mm. the participant. Because you can say, "Yep, can I work for the next four Tuesdays from five o'clock till 10 o'clock? Absolutely. Does it mean I can't play basketball with my friends on my Tuesday night? Yep. That's what it means. Get used to it. Um, But that opportunity to getting close to it and learning from it and saying, God, was it even fun? Did I like it? Right. Did I learn enough from that? And usually while you're doing whatever you can by getting close to it, you're learning a lot more about what it would take. How would I know? What should I learn next? Et cetera.
1: Mm. Buried in there. And it was a, a little, it was at the front end of that answer was this, if you don't like it, don't do it, but don't whine about it. Say more there. Do you feel like that's where people, a lot of people will uh, put up these barriers, whine about it and do nothing? Is that something you see? Is that, is that uh human yeah, trait? I, is say, that entrepreneur trait? Is that a creator trait? Like, <laughs> It's
0: definitely not an entrepreneur trait. Right. It's one of those earlier red flags because the entrepreneur trade is I see a problem. Here's a potential set of three solutions. Problem, solution, problem, solution, whether that be on behalf of customers or company building or recruiting or whatever. And here's here's one way I'm going to try to solve that. So most entrepreneurs and the better you are, you have this very strong bias for action. And therefore, it is I see a problem. I'm going to attempt something to solve said problem relatively quickly. And it's even not that much. Oftentimes, like, hmm. I spent an hour thinking about option A, option B, option C, screw it. I'm going to try option C. And if option C doesn't work, I'll come back and try B or A, or I might learn something more about that. So this very strong bias for action and the whining component is a bias for inaction. Mm. Is it, here's all the reasons I can't, here's all the reasons it won't work. Here's all the reasons that someone else is already doing it. I mean, that's a bias for inaction. Mm. So if you have that naturally, Wait until you find a place where you have bias for action, where you can't stop thinking about it, where you can't stop volunteering for the next Tuesday five-hour session type of thing. Uh, And that bias for inaction for people like me is sort of often translated in what feels like whining about it. Yeah, there's a hundred reasons why it won't work. What are all the reasons it will? How can we make it work? And so I probably also filter out that in in my normal life. Like I just don't have much of that because I'm spending all my time with people who have huge amounts of bias for action, right. Yeah. Who are just doing things and doing things to further their vision. And therefore I just don't have that much time for the, the opposite.
1: Well, let's talk about, this is almost like the crowding out theory of, uh, like, I don't know if dieting is the right word, but like, if you don't want to, it's not about cutting back on your, uh, pumpkin pie it's about eating you know five times more carrots yeah. <laughs> and you know you sort of focus on in this case that by extension that would be like rather than allowing a lot of time or spending time around you know negative people or people who are not taking action this is the 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 punchline of the the mantra you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with do you see that that is that is that a very valuable and realistic way to, you know, motivate, uh, inspire, to change that mindset that people may be stuck in.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if we're, if, you know, you think about your dinner last night or the dinners we've had, and it is, it is a lot of people who have a very strong bias for action. And when you meet them, they're like, yep, I'm starting another project. They're like, really another one? Like, how do you have enough time for yet another project? right? I mean, we have lots and lots of friends, um, including both of us who are, yeah, I have like this project and another project and a third project. And I'm thinking about, I met this awesome person and I'm thinking about my fourth project. Why? Because I want to spend time with that person. I want to learn about that category um, and I will find the time, right? And that the people who have that bias for action are the, I will find the time. Oh, oh, we have to meet on Saturday mornings at seven o'clock. Yep. that's, That's when it works for me. How about you? Bias for action. Uh, and so the crowding out theory, I think, is there. And, and you just find yourself needing to, especially if you're trying to build a large business, you're very much needing to surround yourself with lots of other people who have a strong bias for action, right? The next person, the next person, the next person that you're hiring are these people who are get on the team, raise their hand, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. sit around the table and say, like, we need to do X next week. And you want everyone to raise their hand, like I'll do it. You're like, yeah, but you're already, already maxed out. You're like, yep, I yep, I'll figure it out. Yep, Saturday morning I'm gonna work on that thing. And that that is what you're looking for. And then at that point in time, like all boats rise. Everybody gains energy by everybody else's energy toward getting shit done.
1: Okay, putting a pin in that, this is it's very related, but I want to put it under a slightly different heading, which is So there are people that are listening to this right now or watching this right now that are saying, Oh shit, I am, I I have a bias to not take action at the thing I'm doing right now. I'm either paralyzed or stuck or I've done it a hundred times. So it doesn't sound fun anymore. Is that universally a sign that people need to make some changes or do you prescribe something besides that? If for for someone who would find themselves like, oh shit, I'm stuck. I'm, uh, I'm not taking action. I feel like just going back to bed when I think of the thing that I have to go do.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, let's keep coming back to the point that entrepreneurship and starting companies is not for everybody. And there shouldn't be a need for people to feel like that's what they should do, right? It works Mm -hmm. well for some of us, but we shouldn't pick up the magazine or go to Instagram and be like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur too because other entrepreneurs, you know, I see that. And somehow I think there's something magical about that. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of things that need to be done that don't have anything to do with starting your own company or running your own game. You know, that said, when you're feeling in action, I think there's two or three ways to get out of that. So one would be, Taking the action to get close to it. Doing something is better than doing nothing. Right. And you're like, you know what? I thought I might like to be a chef. And so I took some action to get a free paying job in a crappy restaurant or a good restaurant because getting there and understanding that for a month or three months period of time is better than not doing anything. And you may be like, wow, that was awesome. Or I really liked this part, but I didn't like that part. And So taking some action towards something is better than no action toward nothing, right? Or being paralyzed into this, I have to make the right choice, right? I'm choosing between A or I'm choosing between B and which one is going to be the right choice. It only has to be the right choice for a week or a month. And then it may be done. Like, yep, I made a choice. I did a thing and I didn't like it. That's okay. Like life's too short. Work on things you like that you can get paid at that in theory you're reasonably good at. But if you like it, then you're likely to get better at it, right? Because you're just going to do it a lot more. Doing things makes you better at things. And so taking action in that way. And the other would be to get around other people who are taking action, even if it's not your type of action. Right. It's like, I'm just watching how, you know, I'm just getting on Chase's team and I'm just watching how Chase is producing a podcast or doing a photo shoot or working on his next book. And I'm just around that. And because he's taking action and I'm helping him around it, I'm taking an action myself, even if I don't want to be an author or assisting on a podcast or working on a photo shoot. But because I'm around a person who's taking action, I feel like I can make that choice, you know, as well. And you still may say, while I'm doing, working on Chase's next book with him and editing or doing the jacket design or others, I'm still thinking and waiting for the, when can I get the job at the restaurant?
1: Hmm. By extension, almost discovering, almost thinking of this as the opposite right now, similar to where we just entered this conversation on the sort of bias for action someone saying i don't like what i'm doing or they're creating a long list of things that are wrong with what they're doing in their heads there's a bias for inaction there what if the bias for inaction is a thing that they should quit it is a bias for lack of action so for example if you are in a corporate job you're just you you find 15 things wrong with your corporate job every day is this like, when do you know to quit? When are you quitting for the right reasons and not a quitter? When is mm-hmm. it not your identity? So, you know, this is a thing we, I shared earlier in our opening segue to the, or, or uh, salvo for the show here, we talked about a couple things. We've covered basically two of the three things, right? And the last one here that we were obsessed with at the table was like, how do you know when to quit? How do you know when the thing that you are doing, it's time to put it to bed either If you've been banging your head against the wall, I'd like you to explore this on two different vectors here. One, you've been banging your head against the wall, not getting anywhere. And man, maybe I actually need to set this idea down, or maybe I need to hand over the reins to the CEO reins, this to someone else, or maybe I need to close this business on one vector. And then the other vector is like, the thing I need to quit is this corporate job. That's keeping me down. What are you know, signs on both sides of this equation that quitting is actually the right thing. Cause I find a lot of people don't want to be associated with quitting, but are miserable.
0: Yeah. Well, I would, I would change the word quit from to change, right? So I'm going to make a change. Of course that means quitting, but it's more, you're not quitting a thing. You're making a change, right? And it's a change from one thing to another thing. If you're in that corporate job depending on if we go to our previous conversations like entrepreneurship and starting your own business is not for everybody and oh by the way if you want to have a really nice balanced life keep your corporate job (laughs) just keep it now you may move company to company and corporate to corporate that's fine but keep your corporate job it's going to be a lot easier for you maybe less rewarding in that on that dimension of your life but it's likely to be easier for you but if you're staying in the corporate job, I highly encourage people to think about their whatever their career is in these, especially if you're in a corporate sense, 18 month cycles. In an 18 month cycle, you could think about, we go back to our previous points of what would make me excited, what kind of customers would I do, what would I want to learn about, and what job within said corporation might enable me to do that. And you do the same thing we just talked about before you go shadow somebody, you go meet other people in the company, you go like, hey, Like, how does this job, could I do anything on your team? Could I do a little side project on your team? And if we like each other after doing that side project, which I'll do for free, I'll keep my other day job. And if we like each other, maybe there'll be a role for me on your your team doing something new. The first six months of that is you're likely to have stepped into a place where you don't know very much, right? It's a very steep learning curve, right? New people, new activities, new things. Even if you're good at a subset of that, you still have a lot to learn. By the second six months, you're probably starting to get to competency. If you're a fast learner, if you worked hard at it, if you ask a lot of good questions, you've probably become competent. At the end of competency, you could ask yourself, do I think I could become world-class? Do I think I have the capability or the interest to become world-class at whatever thing, whatever category inside corporate? If the answer is yes, then start thinking about what the next 18-month cycle is because it's going to take you that long to move up that next level conceptually, not like getting promoted per se, but just getting better at the thing, product management, sales, doesn't matter. So, and then rinse and, and if the, if you're basically at the second six months or a year in and your answer is like, nah, nah, okay. Use the next six months to find the next thing and then rinse and repeat, start all over again. And there's a lot of people. I mean, I spent time at Microsoft and Blackberry There are a lot of people who've had amazing careers doing just this. I worked on that for 18 months. I moved over to this team. I worked in research for a while. Then I worked on the sales org. And then I worked in marketing. And then I worked in HR. And like, wow, amazing. Like all the different things you got to learn and you got paid well and you were continually motivated by different things. Now, that said, if you are thinking that, hey, I'm in this job and I want to quit this job, then we go back to the previous things, which is what would be the thing I would like to move to. And you can do this side project thing for a long time. Put an asterisk in this is certain cases and certain types of things. You have to make sure you're not on breaking some HR policy by doing a side project thing. But if you don't get paid for it, it's usually fine. And this opportunity to say, and I say this to people all the time who want to come start businesses with us at PSL, I say, listen, keep your day job until you just can't. Meaning, The five hours goes to 10 hours. The 10 hours goes to 20 hours. You're now doing your full-time 40-hour-a-week day job and 20 hours a week on top of that. And oh, by the way, you could actually do another 20 hours on top of that. You know, Many of us have worked an 80-hour week. (laughs) It's not fun. You don't want to do it for that long. But while you're doing it, you can effectively maintain two different things. And if you're starting to feel real resonance on the new thing, then real resonance, you'll start to do less of the old thing. Right. You'll start to, you know, punch in a little later and do a little less and won't be raising your hand to take on a new cool project because you're hoping that at some point you will leave or transition from the corporate thing to the new thing. But the new thing may take longer and it's almost always like likely to take longer to get up and running. It'll take longer for you to find your footing there. And oh, by the way, it's pretty nice to have a paycheck while all of that is happening. And the better you are on the entrepreneurial journey, the more you will start to figure out how to time slice how to do this thing on a Tuesday night and do something else on a Thursday morning and then do something else on Sunday afternoon and you'll you'll get good at this because that's just a skill you'll need when you're running your own business anyway.
1: Fascinating. I'm thinking about just, I'd say this is, these topics specifically, when to jump ship, when to quit, when to go all in are 30% of my DMs. My text community that I text with, I got, uh, a number you can call and and text directly with me this sort of section of our conversation i would say is 30% of those conversations it is and so to me it's fascinating like why don't we have more information on here why don't we have structure for how to think about it why why is this missing culturally
0: hmm i don't know i mean hopefully that's what we're we're trying to do here <laughs> and uh and in some ways, it's, it's not really there because they're aside from us who are entrepreneurs, there's nobody who has an incentive for this to happen. I mean, maybe venture capitalists do sort of, I guess, or maybe studio managers like me have an incentive, I guess. But you know, there's lots of incentive for a corporation to say, I want to keep my very best people. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the corporations of the world are not saying, hey, go start a side project and then you know, work on the side and then quit to go do your new thing. Yeah. So there's not an incentive. There's not a set of people who have a significant incentive to make this type of content or process sort of available. So hopefully we're doing our, our first little step in that
1: direction. We're saving the hardest aspect of our conversation for the last, which is what are the signs that you actually should quit? And we'll take this through the lens of the entrepreneur, yeah, the small business person, the solopreneur. There are people who wanted to be entrepreneurs and made a transition and are failing. They've tried it for a long time, or they're feeling beat up, or for any n number of reasons. Right, the economy, the you know, their, uh, the family situation. There's a diagnosis. There's there's a hundred reasons. But let's try and tackle the how to actually know when to quit?
0: Hmm. Well, the, the easiest way, I mean, most of the businesses that we've all worked on that, that fail, I mean, they fail because there's lack of customer interest, right? Not enough people want to pay you enough money to do whatever thing you thought was valuable. So, you, you know, the primary reason why which businesses die and people should quit is like, yep, yeah, I just can't make enough money, right? My kid's going to college and I need to pay some, I mean, okay, I just need a different financial situation. And therefore, I need to quit doing the thing. And it's not because I don't like it or I'm not good at it. It just doesn't pay me well enough. Totally viable way to do it. This is true in startups too. Like, well, I can't raise any more money and therefore I can't pay any more people. And therefore, customers won't pay me enough and we're going to quit because (laughs) there's no way to continue. Um, That said, it's oftentimes very difficult. And the more entrepreneurial you are, the more passionate you are about the thing you're doing, the harder it is to quit. So, what I recommend doing is finding somebody like you or me that is in their life that is somewhat objective, but cares about them individually, and that will help them structure the quitting plan. Mm, And the quitting plan seems something like Hey, Chase, you've been working on this for a while. I can see that you're not really happy. It's not going as well as you'd like. And whether it's the financial side or the number of customers or whatever, let's agree that if in three months you have not done X, Y, or Z, That you'll consider quitting write it down together it's like an accountability buddy right and the accountability buddy oftentimes is somebody who's been through it before i have i've shut them down i've i mean shut them down as an entrepreneur myself i've shut them down with other entrepreneurs i've shut them down as a venture capital investor i've shut them down as a studio manager so i know what it feels like to see the end it's very difficult for the entrepreneur to do that And therefore, if you have this sort of accountability buddy on it, then it'll help you. And you're like, hey, how's it going? I'm not here to check in on you. I'm here to be your friend, to get to a, we agreed, we wrote it down that said, if you can't find 10 new customers, if you can't generate $10,000 a month, if you can't hire this thing, if you can't do that, then you're going to consider shutting it down. And it may say, and now we are going to shut it. We are going to start the process of shutting it down and quitting and doing something else. So. I think that's a, that's a powerful thing, especially if it's a, is friendly enough that cares about you emotionally and individually, but also has some level of, uh, you know, that you're not going to sway them. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know we said 10 customers, but I have eight. And I mean, that's a fine type of negotiation to have. But in many ways, it's someone keeping you accountable that is not inside the business.
1: Mm-hmm. Having, do those people tend to be a certain type of person in your life, you need to seek that out because I can think of if you go to the wrong person there, it's not going to, it's not going to work out well. You go to someone who doesn't believe in you or doesn't believe in your project or is not a, you know, is not more neutral. Like it's probably seems like it's reasonable advice. Like you find these people in your life that are, that have done more than you have, that are either further along in their entrepreneurial journey or are, have always been there for you as a solid mentor these are the type of people that you want to seek this from, not from p- potentially your spouse who always hated that you left your corporate yeah, job to right. go try and be. Probably a not.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and most of us who start businesses, we will have a community of other people who are doing something similar to us. Yeah. Right. You have a community of other photographers who are running all different kinds of photography businesses that you respect, that know what it's like, that are not part of your business and are not you know direct, but, but care for you as an individual. Right. And don't want to see you in pain and want to help yeah. you make a difficult decision. And in that way, it's oftentimes a peer type of person, you know, who may be running a similar business. It could be an investor too, but more often they're, they're inside the business as opposed to outside the business. So I would look for other peers who would do something similar to you that you've built a relationship with over time, which you should be building on the way up too. Mm. right? If I were a photographer and I'm saying, Hey man, I'm starting this new cool business. I love what you do. Um, I'd love to share my work with you. I'd love to get a quick perspective. I would love to, you know, I'll, I'll give and get in that community orientation of other founders who are doing whatever they're doing. Oftentimes you'll find resonance with somebody who says, I'm feeling like it's not really working well. I'm having a hard time shutting it down. Can you help me? Or I've, I've sort of written down the beginning of these metrics and I'd love it if you can be my accountability buddy. <laughs> Yeah. On this particular set of topics, and I and they they you don't know, care enough about you. Right? They want they want to see you happy, but they're not care so much that it's that they're too emotionally wrapped up in it. They're just about the accountability.
1: Mm. Hence the importance of community. You don't want to not have community. Find yourself in a position where you're looking around for this person, this advice. So you need to be building community all along. Mr. T. A. McCann, my friend, mentor, uh, homie. I really, really appreciate you in this series of uh, folks. My goal here was bringing T.A., who's been my mentor for 20-something years, uh, dear friend, has been a very successful entrepreneur, understands the mind, hearts, and souls of creators, entrepreneurs, and uh, bring him along and get to ask him a bunch of questions. So, This is the third episode in what I'm going to say, I'm going to call it a five-part series if I can handcuff myself to T.A. for two more episodes. Thank you for being on the show, T.A., really, really grateful for your time. Remember, uh, you want to point people back to PSL for folks who are interested in uh, starting something?
0: Yeah, PSL.com. I mean, we are a early stage venture capital investor based in the Pacific Northwest. We are a startup studio that helps people build venture scale software companies. And we even work with corporates who want to co-create companies with us uh, for things that their customers need. And then I'll just make a request of the audience Mm. that if you want to hear more of this, then send us the specific questions, just like you did last night. And we can yeah. then sort of aggregate those questions. We can think about where we see commonality. We can normalize them into something. And we can do a, either a sort of generic kind of Q&A where it's like, hey, Bob and Sue Su and Mary ask this type of a question. Um, and or if there are things you want to do on the whiteboard session, maybe we'll organize one of those too where we at least feel good, where we've got a pen and a whiteboard around <laughs> us and we draw some Venn diagrams. So, you know, it's always it just, fun to
1: yeah, sorry, it's fun know just know
0: on. what they... It's just fun to know what, you know, we're here to, we're here to serve. We're here to help you. We've been fortunate in our life. And if we know what you want to know, uh, then we can be more directed in answering those questions.
1: And then if we get to do this whiteboard session that we're fantasizing about right now, you'll get to see it. Tia is really tall. He's like four (laughs) inches taller than I am. Are you six, four, six, six, five, six, six six four. four. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm going to uh, solicit a bunch of more questions from the community. We'll set up this whiteboard session until next time from TA and myself up here in the cozy little corner, uh, Pacific Northwest here in Seattle, uh, until next time or later today, when you listen to the next episode, we both bid you a good day. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us and hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community, all that is pure gold. This community, like any community, a testament to that old phrase a rising tide floats all boats and by elevating one another by sharing and resharing this show the tidbits that you learn the experiences you take away all of that has a collective massive positive impact on the world so just a quick thank you i appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show all right that's a wrap let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together